music and everything's off, and we'll open up with prayer. If you guys could really agree with me, I'd appreciate it, okay, as I pray. As I always have a, a heart that the Word of God, I mean, we love God's presence. And as we worship tonight, we love worship. We love the Holy Spirit's presence coming in. But we need the Word of God. It's so important. So, Lord, as I pray over this tonight, I pray, Lord, that you'll give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds right now. And by the precious Holy Spirit, um, help us, Lord, to have eyes to see and ears to hear like Jesus talked about. That your Holy Spirit would really help us to, you know, just get captivated, our minds to get focused and not distracted by other things, and that we're really tuned in to what you're speaking. And by the, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit helping us to really get just locked in and tuned in. But Lord, let the word of the Lord go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the gentle rain of the Spirit of God and cause those seeds, Lord, to take root in all of our lives and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that our, um, our lives will begin to reflect the truth of your word in every way. Lord, help us to see things we haven't seen tonight and um, receive all that you have for us. And we just pray we bind away any resistance of the enemy against the word of the Lord, but let it go forth, Lord, in power under a mighty anointing. We thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to close out this series tonight, okay? I've been doing communion Hebrew roots and just talking about the Hebrew roots of the faith. How many of you guys feel like you at least learned something in this series, okay? All right, well, as I close this out, interestingly enough, I know that tonight is Pentecost, Shavuot, but I'm probably not going to deal too much with that because I've already dealt with that in previous sermons. But I felt to deal with Yom Kippur and with a holy fear of God, okay? So this will be a little different, but listen, down through church history, we've had times where the Lord, the Holy Spirit, would really come down in great power, and we would see an influx of souls. And I really believe that River of Life is going to be a part of that, and we have a revival and a harvest that's coming, okay? And God is preparing things for that. So this sermon tonight, I'm going to deal with what is going to have to be in place for God to come. And you can study the scriptures, and you have to understand, I I believe I've made this clear through this series, but Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. Did everybody hear what I just said? He didn't come to throw it away. He came to fulfill it. And that's extremely important that we understand that because... The Bible says that now we are the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are. And so for us to even understand what that means, we have to go back and look at the the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And so you know there's an outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Our body, our soul, our spirit. And we begin to understand there's so many other truths I've tried to bring out in this series regarding how Christ has fulfilled it. We have the fullness in the New Testament. But here's some things I want to talk about, okay? In the outer court, if everybody can capture what I'm saying, I think this will really help you. But in the outer court, it was around 1,500 square cubits, and that's the age of the law, the 1,500 years of the law. The holy place had five pillars in front, and it was 2,000 square cubits, which is the 2,000 years of the church age, the age of grace. The five pillars, five is grace, but also the fivefold ministry. And then the Holy of Holies is a thousand square cubits, and that's the thousand year reign of Christ which is to come. 
So it's like a progression toward the Lord. You see what I'm saying? The law, then Christ, and then the fullness when He comes and we see Him. Also, you can see that the outer court of the tabernacle was lit with natural sunlight. When you left the outer court and you went into the holy place, it was lit by the menorah, the lampstand. And that lampstand represents the Holy Spirit. So now you're going from the natural sunlight and you're beginning to move into revelation. You're beginning to see things that God is showing you. And then finally, when you get beyond the holy place into the holy of holies, you move into the realm of the glory of God, where his manifest presence is, and that shining of his glory. So you have natural sunlight that you leave, you go into revelation, but ultimately you're getting into the glory. And the glory is where you're going to really experience God in an awesome way. Most people that I've seen in the body of Christ across the board seem like that they dwell in an outer court experience. They, they know about Jesus, they know about the blood, they know about the cross. And they understand the labor, the word of God. And they'll talk about the cross and they talk about the word of God. But that's kind of the extent. It's an outer court experience. But as we begin to come into the baptism and the Holy Spirit, okay, here we are at Pentecost, right? We talk about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Because when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit will indwell. He'll live inside your inner man, your spirit. And you're born again, you're different, okay? But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an altogether different experience where you're filled and baptized into the Holy Spirit, okay? And there's a clothing of power that comes. That's why Jesus said in Luke 24, 49, he said, wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. And Acts 1, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses. So God is wanting us to get beyond just a salvation experience alone. And he's wanting us to start coming into that realm where we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and we leave the outer court and start moving into the holy place. And that's where you begin to get revelation from God. You begin to see things that God is showing you. And you begin to experience his presence and his fellowship. This is in the overall body of Christ. There's a lot of people that hang out in the outer court. The outer court was big. It was like a football field size. A lot of people hang out there. But it gets smaller in regards to circumference. It gets smaller into the holy place where fewer people are going in there. And you start seeing now the greater body of Christ around the world, you start seeing now a smaller number that are really getting filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit and begin to commune with the Lord. They begin to fellowship with Him. And they're beginning now to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. They're beginning to see things God's showing them. Is this making sense? Derek Prince probably said it best. He said that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is where Christians begin to move into the supernatural in God. And that's true. You're not just talking about being saved anymore. Now you're beginning to believe God that you lay hands on the sick and they recover. That in the name of Jesus I drive out demons. And you begin to function in the gifts of the Spirit. And you're going deeper in Christ. 
But see, when I was growing up around Pentecost, around, you know, my parents, we went to a church that would be considered Pentecostal. And I saw some of this. I, I would see some healings, and we saw the gifts in operation, and we saw some people sometimes that were delivered from a demon or something like that. And we saw the power there. But see, what I'm talking about, if you can follow me with this, the outer court is just a salvation experience. But now you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you begin to start moving in the supernatural, and that's wonderful. We need that. We need to function in the gifts. We need to be able to see the power of God touch people. All that's really important. But there's still yet a deeper realm beyond the holy place where we go into the holy of holies. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was ripped. So don't tell me that we can't get in there. We're supposed to be in there. But I would say that a lot fewer Christians now go beyond the holy place into the holy of holies. Because this is a place where God's manifest presence, His glory is. And a lot of people are not even really sure what the glory of the Lord even is. The glory of the Lord, I'm talking about His weighty manifest presence. And that's why you see the same pattern with the tabernacle. We have a picture over there, but you also see with the priestly garments. The priestly garments had that white layer where you're, you're saved, your sins are forgiven, you're born again. But it has that blue layer that wrapped and had the bells and pomegranates. That is the clothing of power. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And now you begin to function in the gifts. Okay, you're clothed with power to begin to do the things Jesus did on the earth. But yet there's another layer that a lot of people don't talk about, and that's that gold and ephod, that gold layer. And on that gold layer, what that speaks of is the glory of the Lord coming into our lives. I want God's manifest presence in my life. And I'll talk about some different things tonight. But God can only trust His manifest presence in, with certain people and in certain places because not everywhere is conducive for God to deposit His manifest presence there. There's places that God may even visit, but He's not going to dwell there with His strong, weighty presence. How many of you guys would say, since you've been in River of Life, you've at least experienced God's weighty presence, His manifest glory. You felt it. Okay. All right. Once you experience the glory, you become really hungry to go into that realm of the glory. You want to live in His presence. And I'm telling you tonight, as I talk about Yom Kippur and the holy fear of God, I'm leading up to something. But I'm telling you that you can have the presence of God in your home. And you need that in your home. You, it does not have to be something that's only at church. And unfortunately, there's a lot of places. And I'm not saying this critical. I'm just saying this as a matter of fact. But there's a lot of places you can go, whether it's a, a church or a ministry or whatever that's out there, that you're not going to feel and experience the glory of the Lord there. It seems like it's very spiritually sterile. So God's glory, His manifest presence is not everywhere. And for us to be able to have the glory of the Lord in our lives, we've got to be willing to get beyond just a salvation experience alone. That's wonderful. But we've got to start moving into being baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
filled with the Spirit of God and moving into the holy place and begin to function in the gifts, begin to get revelation from the Lord, begin to go deeper in Christ. But even beyond that, to begin to move into the holy of holies where his glory begins to invade our lives. Where the glory of the Lord, his manifest presence is, there can be a lot more healing. There also can be tremendous protection in the glory. Um, Romans chapter 13, I believe, the Apostle Paul talked about an armor of light. We talk about the armor of God, and I can't rabbit trail on that. We all know the armor of God. But there's also that armor of light, which is the glory. And in Isaiah 4, I believe it is, around verse 6, something like that, in Isaiah 4, it talks about the glory of the Lord being a defense. And it's going to be a shelter from the heat of the day. So in these latter days that we're living before Jesus comes, we know that there's going to be these difficult, challenging times in the earth. There are going to be perilous times, fierce times. And of all times that you know that in the all of the last 2000 years the church age that somebody needs to understand the glory of God us living in the last day church we need to understand the glory is an armor and a protection in our lives and so next week i'm going to start a series on saturday about the glory about the presence of God i'm going to talk about prayer Going deeper in prayer, I'm going to talk about the personal work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do a series. I'm going to spend some time on it, okay? But to have the glory, there's got to be a holy fear of God in our lives. Now, see, I can say something like that. And, you know, Alex will agree with me about this, but this is just the truth. People that have a Jewish background, a Hebrew background, don't have a problem with this. They understand that God is a holy God and you don't trifle with the holy things of God. You don't play around with the holy things of God. There's a healthy fear of God that's there. But see, the problem is, is that a lot of the church world that's rejected the Hebrew roots of the faith, and that's what I'm dealing with in this series, they don't understand that holy fear of God. And they began to experience an anointing. They began maybe God's presence coming in. But they also have a lot of other things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And they don't have that holy fear of God in their life to help guide them. And so pretty soon, um, the presence of God will leave. And they may even open themselves up to some discipline from the Lord. And maybe even some judgment. Because they're playing with the holy things of God. And they're, they're mixing it with things that are worldly. And that, are, that grieve the Holy Spirit, and possibly at times even demonic. And God is a jealous God, and He will not play like that. We want God's presence, but that means also that we have to have a healthy fear of God, and a reverence and a respect for Him and the things of God, that it's not a big joke or a big game, and we can't just do whatever we think we can, you know, you know whatever we want to do, or whatever we make our own rules or something like that. It's not like that. We've got to get back to the Scriptures and say, you know what, I'm going to line everything up with the Word of God. You can't just make up these rules as you go, well, this pleases God and this doesn't, and you just come up with it on your own. And I believe that that's a lot of where things are. People, they don't mean to, but they're creating with their own imagination, their own mind, a Jesus that will tolerate their sin and put up with their junk. 
I love the homosexuals. I pray for them. But the homosexual community will create a homosexual Jesus that condones their homosexuality, and that's not God. And unfortunately, they're going to have a rude awakening on Judgment Day. That's just one of many examples. People do it all the time. So, let's dive into this. But there's a holy fear of God, but then there's also, unfortunately what I refer to as a hyper-grace teaching that's been circulating through the body now for some time. I love God's grace and mercy. Where in the world would we be today without God's grace? We would all be in a whole lot of trouble right now if we didn't have God's grace. I know that God loves us. I know that God is incredibly merciful. I know that He is forgiving. And I know that His grace is sufficient. But bottom line is, that God is also a God that brings judgment. He's also a God that, that is going to send a lot of people to hell. And this I'm preaching this way because last week was a real encouraging sermon. But God laid this on my heart tonight. How many knows Jesus said that there's a broad way that leads to hell and many find it. And there's a narrow way that leads to life and few find it. Has anybody ever really thought about that for a minute? In the incredible mercy and grace of God extended to all of us, that we're able to be on our way to heaven. I've known people my whole life growing up in church, and they, they'll sit on church pews just like some of these young people are doing right now. And they grow up in church their whole life, and they never really truly know the Lord. I can tell you people that I knew as a teenager growing up, they grew up, they were dedicated as a baby. They grew up in church their whole life. And right now, they're some of the biggest heathen I've ever seen in my life. If they die, they're going to split hell wide open. And you're sitting there going, what happened to these people? There was never a holy fear of God in their life. They grew up around the things of God, but they never had a born-again experience. They never had an encounter with God for themselves. So let's go through it. Luke 12, verse 5. I could give a lot of scripture here, but I got for the sake of time, let's give this one. Jesus, Jesus said, but I warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, fear him. So Jesus taught us to have a healthy fear of God. And in John, see a lot of people misquote this a lot of times, but 1 John four eighteen. It's kind of a counterbalance to this. It says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So a lot of people misquote this. They just simply say perfect love casts out fear and they don't read the whole verse. That's a pretty common issue in the body of Christ. So you have Jesus saying, yeah, you need to have a, a fear of God. But then you have John saying, yes, the perfect love also will cast out fear. So how do you reconcile this? I'll tell you how. When we first come to God, all of us better come on our face and humble ourselves before a holy God and repent of our sin and get things right with him. Okay? And that there's a holy fear of God. We're repenting. We're getting everything right. But see, what happens is as you approach God that way and you get everything right with him, then you're going to begin to have a relationship with him. And pretty soon... God's always loved you, but now you begin to fall in love with God. And so now no longer are you not sinning because you're afraid of punishment, but now you're not sinning because you love him too much. 
And so now your love is being perfected. And now there's not the need for that fear of punishment. You've moved beyond that. Because now you're saying, you know what, Lord, I love you so much. I don't want to do anything that would grieve you or hurt you or or in any way mess up our relationship. But it doesn't start there because the love of humanity, that is not natural. That's supernatural love. And it doesn't start there. When somebody first accepts Christ as their Savior, it is very healthy that they have that holy fear of God, that they have that godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that they get down on their face and realize, I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. I've done all these things wrong. I have grieved you, Lord. Forgive me. And they go through that healthy process. Then on the other side of that, they begin to realize his great love for them and they begin to fall in love with him but see the church world today in america is trying to bypass the first and they're just talking about how much god loves people and he does love people but they bypass the fear of god they bypass the repentance and so people now have no fear of god they've never really repented they never got things right with god they're just told how much god's grace and love is for them and how much how much god loves them just like they are and they've never really got everything right with god and that's not a healthy normal biblical christianity and it's producing this weird hybrid church that is very comfortable with sin very comfortable with sin So for people, whenever you read about past revivals, and I'm talking about all of them, go back and study the days of Wesley in the mid-1700s. Study the revivals of, of Finney in the mid-1800s, Cane Ridge, Asusa go through all of them, Hebrides. And what you see in these revivals is when the Holy Spirit began to move among the people, that people were gripped with the fear of God. There were people in Finney's meeting. You've got to understand, everybody hear what I'm saying right here. This is a, a, a move of the Holy Spirit that does this. God does this. This is not something that a man can do. Finney would get up there and just simply be preaching, and all of a sudden there would be rank heathen sinners that know nothing about God, but the Holy Spirit was so strong in that place, that they would sit there and begin to weep and in a fetal position fall on the ground in their groaning under the conviction of their sin. And there would be people that Finney would have that would go over there and kind of pick them up and drag them to the altar and set them down. And after Finney was done preaching, there would be several people in the altar just like that, and he would go through and lead them all to Jesus. In the Hebridean revival, Duncan Campbell said the same thing. The Holy Spirit would just fall And there would be people on the ground just weeping and you would hear them, God, forgive me. I'm such a sinner. I deserve hell. And they would just be hitting their head on the ground and just weeping and, you know, groaning and travailing before God. And that was the Holy Spirit convicting them. The same, I could go through all of them. And the same thing happened in recent times at Brownsville. From 95 to about 2000 when Steve Hill was there. You see the same thing. People grip with the fear of God. They would come down to the altars. You hear the wailing of all the sinners repenting. That right there is the work of the Holy Spirit who comes into this world. The Bible says, Jesus said, to convict the world of sin. And 
And then once those people went through that, and they really wept and they got things right with God, and they would get saved, they would pray and you know accept Christ as our Savior, then there was reports of the great joy in their life. As now they realize how much God loved them and how he's forgiven them. And they were so happy and elated and excited and they would tell everybody about it. But see that healthy process of what the Holy Spirit did to bring them to repentance. And then the joy of the Lord. And I believe everybody knows what I'm talking about. That the modern day church bypasses the first. I remember an older man used to tell me that he said when he was he was when I knew him he was probably in his sixties or seventies. He was telling me he's been in the ministry fifty years and he said back years ago when he was quite young that it was really common for somebody to come down and get saved, but they would stay in the altar and really they called it praying through. You know, they would stay there and really get things right with God and really repent and, and he said those people left that church a lot different than they came in. He said a lot of the stuff that was attached to their life would, would be broke off of them and they'd really be different. But he said, you don't see that anymore. All you see is, you know, electric praise and worship just really electrified. It's exciting. And you see people told how much God loves them and how good they are. And then they hear this motivational speech and they go home. Is anybody see what I'm saying? There's something here that's missing and it's because the church has gotten away from its Hebrew roots. Now, there is a good fear versus a bad fear. A good fear is where you have this deep reverence for God and the things of God. But a bad fear is where people run away from God when they need to be running toward him. Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, they ran away from God and hid. But if they would have run toward God, they would have found his forgiveness. You see what I'm saying? Not that God didn't forgive them, but they were afraid. And I think a lot of people will make a mistake in life. They'll sin. And instead of running toward Jesus, they run out of church, away from God, and they go hiding. Instead of coming to the Lord and really getting things right. So there's a good fear, but there's also a bad fear. And God helps us in our weaknesses. You know what the grace of God, I believe, more than anything is? A lot of people use grace in you know, connection to forgiveness or mercy. But really what God's grace more than anything is, it's translated his favor. But it is the power of God, the Holy Spirit living in us to empower us to overcome. Because all of us are weak human vessels and there's no way in our flesh that we could overcome sin. And when we accept Christ and we really ask his forgiveness, the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. But still we've got to live this thing out. And so God has allowed his precious Holy Spirit to live in us. And what an incredible honor that is. But the Holy Spirit now lives in us and he empowers us and helps us to overcome the weaknesses that were in our lives. That's really more than anything else. That's the grace of God right there. To become an overcomer. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm telling you, there's a revival coming. And these sermons are helping to prepare you for what's coming. Don't try to bypass the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit is God? That means he's smarter than all of us. And what he's doing, he knows what he's doing. Okay? 
I remember the wisdom of Evan Roberts. They had left a prayer meeting. His mother did, rather. She left a prayer meeting early. And she was, this is in the days of revival, and she was really gripped with conviction. She felt she was supposed to stay there, but she left, and she grieved the Holy Spirit. And on the way home, she was really brokenhearted about it. And you know what a lot of people do nowadays? A lot of people tell her, oh, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. But Evan Roberts had the wisdom. He knelt down with his mom and they prayed and they, they asked God to forgive him. And then once she said, Lord, forgive me for disobeying you. I really repent. Forgive me, Lord. That weight lifted. She was cleansed, see. But Evan had the wisdom to help her repent. How many knows that's God's wisdom right there? To help people repent, help people get things right. Rather than trying to say, oh, just shake off that conviction. Whatever, whatever you feel, don't worry about that. Just ignore that. I think that by and large in America, maybe around the world, I don't know, but there's too much of a flippant attitude about sin. I think that people don't realize how serious sin really is, how much it destroys their life. Would you think about for a minute, Adam and Eve, what was their great sin? They ate a fruit that God said not to eat. And look at the damage it did to them and their descendants. Think about that. Some people, you know, just think, well, if God told me not to eat the fruit and I eat the fruit, it's not that big a deal. You know, that's the way a lot of people would think nowadays. Their sin, Adam and Eve's sin, seems so minor compared to the sins of today. All right, so here's, here's what I was getting to. We've got to be willing to deal with things. Now, I want you to think about it. You guys remember the story when Joshua went up against the walls of Jericho, and he had Israel, and they marched around the walls once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they marched seven times. They blasted all these shofars. Everybody lifted up a shout. The walls of Jericho came crumbling down. We know the story. It's a supernatural victory. This was a city that in the natural, Israel could not have defeated this city. But God gave them a supernatural victory. And they took the city. But after that, they went up against this little bitty town. Remember the story of Ai? They went up to this little bitty town. And... Joshua and some of the leaders are thinking, this is, this is such a weak city. We don't even have to worry about them. And they just sent kind of a small group to go. Well, Ai whipped them really bad. And Joshua wanted to understand why. Because God told Joshua, um, don't be afraid. I will be with you. I will give you victory everywhere you go. And here's defeat. And so Joshua was worried. And so Joshua got on his face and began to pray and ask God what was wrong. Now, I want you to, to think about this scripture. The Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban. In other words, God forbidden them to take the gold. And they've stolen and deceived. Moreover, they've also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand up against their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies. For they have become accursed. 
I will not listen to this statement. Now, we read over this stuff a lot of times. God said to Joshua, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under a ban, which was what God said not to take. Rise up and consecrate the people. Now, here's this guy. See, I'm talking about holy fear of God. You're probably not going to hear this preached in many places anymore. But here's Joshua. The guy didn't sin. The guy didn't do anything. He's just basically the pastor. He's on his face going, God, what happened? And God tells him, I'm not going to be with you anymore unless you go and you get rid of that stuff that they brought into this camp and you deal with those people that brought that sin in this camp and you consecrate the people, I will not be with you anymore. Man, you're thinking... God is being so hard on Joshua. Joshua just stood up, basically, yes, sir. Well, I'm going to go take care of it. Took care of it, went out there. And, you know, they were lying about it. So you remember Joshua had to weed it down and find out who it was. But, but eventually he had to destroy that stuff. And what was the sin? You know, Achan went in and saw some shiny gold and stuff and fell into temptation. God said, don't take anything. Leave it. Why? Because it was the first fruits, the tithe, because they took ten cities. This was the first. God said, leave all of it. But Achan's there looking at the shiny gold. And he got tempted, and he stole some of it. But see, we want revival in River of Life. I know that you all have a heart like I do. You want God's presence. And I believe that you really, truly want to see God come down and save some people. And it's going to take God coming down in this region. This region is far too religious. It's going to take an act of God to really break through the darkness and really bring in this harvest. It's going to take God doing it. But you want to see people saved. You want to see people healed and delivered. You want to see the power of God coming. I do too. I'm hungry for that. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're believing for. But I can just hear the warning of the Holy Spirit saying, but I won't be with you anymore if you don't deal with the things that you've got to deal with and don't tell me as a pastor don't come up and try to tell me about grace or something i understand god's grace i wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for god for god's grace but i'm not a fool either so let me give you some things out of the scriptures about dealing with stuff joshua had to deal with things that were hidden Sometimes the devil's at work and there's sin and there's things that aren't right in a church or whatever and it's hidden. But God the Holy Spirit will begin to expose things and deal with it. See, one of the things that God the Holy Spirit will do is he will bring like a sword into a church. And here's a good illustration. Picture, if you will, a sword of the Lord coming but there's people that really humble themselves down on their face and repent so the sword goes over them. But there's other people that stand upright and they're prideful and they're not going to repent and the sword will cut them down. When the sword of the Lord begins to come, what God is doing is God is saying, people here have been really seeking me for a move. They're seeking me for my glory to come into this place. They're seeking me for souls they really want me to come and save and heal and deliver and come in power. They've prayed, they've asked me. So I'm going to send my sword into their midst. And my sword is going to begin to deal with sin, expose things, and deal with people. 
Now, I believe in the past, over the last couple of years, I really believe the sword of the Lord has been at work, and that's why, unfortunately, there, there's you know, some things that had to get dealt with, and there's some people that had to be dealt with that aren't here anymore. But God will begin to bring his sword, and he'll begin to cut away what needs to go. And let me tell you something, and let this be a warning, and I pray that the holy fear of God, you know what it says about Jesus? In Isaiah, it predicted Jesus. It says he will have the spirit of the Lord upon him. The spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And in the fear of the Lord, he will delight. So Jesus walked in that holy fear of God. But I'm going to tell you, I pray the fear of God really convict people here right now. Because, see, when you read that passage in Matthew 7, around 21 down, we have it in our pamphlet. Jesus said this. He said that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. We prophesied in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We cast out demons in your name. But yet Jesus will say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. And you practice lawlessness. Now let's break that down. Because I'm talking about a holy fear of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And we all know in Acts chapter 19, the seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish chief priest tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preached. They didn't know the Lord. And the demon-possessed man jumped on all eight of them and beat them up and sent them out of the house naked and bleeding. So you can't be casting out demons if you're not a part of the household of faith here. Jesus didn't say that they tried to prophesy. They tried to see the sick healed. They tried to cast out demons. He said, no, they did it. Is this, is, man, is this sinking in? This is a warning for church people, for religious people. This is a warning for me and you. Where the holy fear of God begins to settle in. Because Jesus is saying here, number one, that they never really knew him. How many knows there's a difference between just going to church and really knowing the Lord? There's a different, and the reason why I have to preach this way, I don't know how it is all over America because I pastor in Dallas and I lived, you know, in Texas my whole life. But I know here that religion is a problem. There's a lot of religious people, but there's not a lot of saved people. And so I have to preach this way. Because I'm coming up against the strongholds of this region. Every time we go out witnessing, we talk to people. Yeah, yeah, I, I go to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I, my family's a Christian, this, that, and the other. And then you look at their life, and there's, they're not a Christian. I mean, I'm just saying. And we love them, but we're trying to help them. Because Jesus said, I never knew you. Well, that means he's, he never approved of them because he, they never had a relationship. And I can just hear Jesus saying, I wooed you, I called you, my Holy Spirit convicted you, I wanted you to come pray, I wanted you to spend time with me, I wanted you to make sure things were right between us, but you kept ignoring my Holy Spirit, you kept resisting me. And the preacher would get up and preach and you'd just blow him off. And eventually I even sent people to try to confront you about things and you just got offended and went down the road to another church where you could do the same thing, nobody will offend you there. And you never would deal with it, you never would get the sin out of your life, you never would come to me and have a relationship with me. You were just rebellious and you were like a spiritual brat and you wouldn't let me deal with you. And now you want to come to me. 
I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And then he said, and you practice lawlessness, meaning that you lived in sin. Now, everybody sins here and there. Everybody sins. Everybody makes a mistake. Everybody does stupid stuff, okay? Nobody's perfect. The Bible says if you say you're without sin, you deceive yourself. I'm not talking about somebody um, sinning and then getting on their face and repenting. I'm talking about somebody that lives a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, and they refuse to repent. They justify it. The man that goes to church every week, but he's got this long-term adulterous affair he's been living in. And he dies in his adultery. And he's going to stand before the Lord. Lord, Lord, I was a part of the church. I, I did this. I did all these things in your name. And Jesus saying, I never knew you. You practiced lawlessness. You lived in unrepentant sin all these years. You never would get it right. You heard the preacher talk about things. You felt the conviction of my Holy Spirit. I tried to deal with you. You would not submit to that. And you continued in this adultery until you died in it. And now here you are wanting to make it into heaven. Forget it. Depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus talked about the parable of the wise virgins. All of them were virgins. There wasn't five virgins, five harlots. All of them were virgins. All ten of them. All ten of them um, had oil. All ten of them were awake at some point. All ten of them had uh, their lamp. But only some of them had that extra oil. The wise ones. Let me tell you, when you're dealing with the people of God, and we're wanting to go deeper into the things of God, there's people and there's things that will not go deeper into God. When the sword of the Lord comes, it'll thin things out. There's people that will disappear. There's things that will change that will disappear. The church will change. Things that used to be so important don't matter anymore. It becomes more about him, more about his presence, and less about programs and less about the things of this world. And we want God to come, but we have to welcome the sword of the Lord. And let me tell you something. This is, this is from probably the Hebrew roots, but this is the truth. I welcome the Holy Spirit's correction. Doesn't bother me a bit. He convicts me and shows me something my wife will tell you. I'm, I'll be right there. I don't wait three or four days. If he shows me something, I'm immediately, Lord forgive me i mean i welcome his correction i want him to show me if there's something not pleasing to him i want to repent but you know after years of being that way there's this love relationship with the lord my heart is i just don't want to grieve him i don't want to do something that hurts the holy spirit but this type of preaching doesn't bother me i welcome this type of preach i want to think about my life Lord, when I stand before you and say, Lord, Lord, I did this all in your name and, 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 I, and I served you, am I, go, am I going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or am I going to hear this other phrase? But see, I believe by the, the Holy Spirit working in my life that I am spending time with the Lord. I know him. I have a relationship with him. And I've repented of my sins of the past. So we pray and we want to move of God. But how many people truly will welcome the sword of the Lord in your life? 
And you'll hear me tonight and you'll say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying and I believe you're, what you're saying is scriptural. And I say, you know, Lord, do it in me. Show me if there's something in me. Like I preached two weeks back, remember about the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church was lukewarm. And they said about themselves, you know, Lord, we're fine. I mean, we're, we're in need of nothing. We're rich. But the Lord said, nope, actually, I see you as being naked, poor, wretched, and blind. So a lot of times people are deceived because the sword of the Lord needs to come and help us all see ourselves the way God sees us. But let me tell you something. On the other side of that repentance and that, that um, fear of God where God does a deep work in you, there is a freedom. Are you all hearing me? There is a freedom. There is a love relationship with God. There is a joy. And there, all, of, all of that just fades away into a relationship with God that's unbelievable. The thing is, so many people have, have, are bogged down with so much sin and compromise in their life that their relationship with God is so dead and so sterile. And they don't spend time with Him. They don't hear His voice. And if they would just simply go through this healthy process of repentance and allow the Holy Spirit, that godly sorrow, lead them to repentance, repentance they would find the true freedom that jesus paid for them to have at calvary and just for the record as i've studied church history this is how people have preached for the last two thousand years that have seen revivals because they would call people to repentance let me ask you something do you want some hireling here's the difference Do you want some hireling that is just simply going through the motions that gets up and tells people what they want to hear rather than have somebody that's a man of God that will preach the truth? Are y'all hearing me? See, a hireling is somebody that when times get tough, whenever Jesus talked about the good shepherd and how he watches over the sheep, Jesus was saying that a hireling, when a wolf comes and when tough times come, those, those sheep are not really his, and he'll just run away and let the wolf have his way with the sheep. He's just going to save his own skin. But somebody that's a shepherd that has an investment in those sheep and cares about those sheep, he's going to do something about the wolf. So let me say that phrase again. Do you want a preacher that's just simply going to be a hireling that is just here to make some kind of paycheck or something and just simply tell you what you want to hear just to appease you and all he really cares about is one day having a retirement? Or do you want somebody that wants to please God and wants to help you? Y'all need to help me out tonight. This is a little quiet. All right, the last couple things. Cleansing out our homes. I'm going to close this out pretty quick now. And we're going to pray. Cleansing out our homes. You guys have heard me preach on this enough to where I can just kind of go over it quickly. But Deuteronomy 7.26. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house or you like it will be set apart for destruction. Regard it as vile. Utterly detest it for it is set apart for destruction. The children of Israel were coming into Canaan. And Jewish writings talk about how the Canaanites, they were afraid of Israel coming because they heard about what happened to Egypt. 
And so they began to take their silver and gold and beat it down into these little demon god idols that they worship. And they began to embed them into the walls of their home or in the foundation. They would build a house and they were believing. It was superstitious, but they were believing for those demon gods to protect them from the God of Israel. And so when Israel came into the land and they began to, to get wells they didn't dig and vineyards they didn't plant and houses they didn't build, they inherited these Canaanite houses. And these Canaanite houses had these demon gods in them. Many times, not always. And Leviticus 14 talked about how that grieved the Holy Spirit. And God began to put this spreading leprosy that would appear on a wall in a home. And there would be these green and red streaks going. And the priest would come in and have to examine it and would scrape that off and come back in seven days. If it was there again, they realized there's something wrong with this home. And they would begin to tear down the stones. And many times when they tore down those stones, they would find one of those little buried demon gods there. And they would realize, and God wasn't going to put up with it. Just like with Joshua and, and how God said, I won't be with you anymore. God was not going to put up with the stuff in his people's home that was undealt with. So let me go through this. Number one, we want revival. Do you guys want revival? Because Leonard Ravenhill went to a church one time and said, how many want revival? Everybody raised their hand. And he said, how many of you guys, how long did you pray this week? And he went through and asked them. And he shut his Bible and said, you don't want revival and left. It was after five minutes of a sermon. Anyway, and say, do you want revival really? Is that we really want a move of God, then we welcome the Holy Spirit to come. We welcome the fear of God. We welcome the sword of the Lord. So let me just say this as it is. Number one, we've got to make sure that our homes are in order. I'm only, I'm going to say some things, but I'm saying, I think everybody will hear my heart and understand, but my wife and daughter know as much as I love them, and we, we're very close, actually, that my wife knows that I'm the head of the house. You understand what I'm saying? And when I was raising Brianna, she knew it too. Okay? I mean, it, you have to put your home in order, and I mean, sometimes you just got to deal with stuff. And I wasn't going to allow, you know... Um, things into the home in the way of like a you know wicked entertainment or whatever things up on the wall that these you know posters and things that some teenagers get I wasn't going to allow stuff at nudity and, and excessive violence and all this lustful garbage we weren't going to have it and I and I put everything in order and that's why the glory is in my home I'm not saying that privately I'm saying it's a fact and I wouldn't put up with it and I believe my family respects me and loves me for it. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, we've got to be careful what we're speaking out into our home. The words of your mouth, what I already talked about last week or the week before, the words of your mouth, blessings and curses. Be careful that you're not speaking death and curses into your home. You better be careful to not be allowing witchcraft into your home. Nowadays, with certain music and with movies and things, you have to be careful that you're not allowing witchcraft and the occult, lustful things. Don't allow things into your home that's going to cause lust rebellion you cannot tolerate rebellion you cannot tolerate as a man of god somebody in your home that's going to dishonor disrespect you and rebel against you can't put up with it if you do i can just hear the god of joshua saying i won't be with you anymore until you deal with that rebellion in that home you can't put up with dishonesty i remember that you know, raising my daughter, I'm sorry to use you an example, but I've got to, I have no choice. But as I was raising her, you know, if there was something that was done, 
you know, they would be a grounding or whatever per the offense. But if she lied about it, there was a whole nother grounding for lying. Remember that? And we dealt with dishonesty real quick. And so the thing is that you, you deserve what you tolerate. You cannot put up with stuff in your home that you're not supposed to be putting up with. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Also, unforgiveness. And the last thing I'd say is going to bed angry. Be careful. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed angry with unresolved issues. Make sure. You know, God spoke to me something, and I think some of you guys here would appreciate this. My wife and I pray together at night. And it may seem radical to some. I really don't care. I taught about that um, morning and evening sacrifice, remember? And so at night, you know, I take the Lord's Supper. It's just something I feel led to do. And I always pray that the blood of Jesus wash our home and I, anything um, not of God to be bound and go. And um, so that's what I do. Okay, I take the Lord's Supper, I pray, and usually I take some of that juice and, and pour it out there in my front of my house. You say, Lord, I bring everything under the blood. And that's what I feel led to do. And I'll, I'll, um, my wife and I come together and we'll pray. We speak a blessing over one another. We pray together. And, because, and God showed me this because in the Bible, the Hebrew culture, your day begins that night. Your day begins at sunset. The Lord showed me that that was actually the first prayer of the day. And I never thought about that before. And what God's wanting is, you know, if you have a shofar, man, that's a good time also. Just blasting in that atmosphere. But God showed me that he's wanting there to be this open heaven and his glory in your home. And my wife and I, I'm telling you, the glory is really strong on us. And, you know, I wake up from that the next day in the glory. And then you go right into a prayer time with the Lord. And then that's what carries you throughout the day. But let me tell you, too, I've had opportunities where I had to work long hours in the past and drive distances. I never relegated my prayer life behind a steering wheel. That's just me. There's too many distractions. That's like turning a TV on in front of you and saying, I'm going to pray. Okay? There's just too many distractions. I'm just saying. I always got up and I gave the Lord my best. I spent time with Him. And then anything else down the road, that was just extra time with Jesus. So if you'll make your home a place that you cleanse it, you bring your home under the blood. And like I've already talked about, go through, maybe anoint the rooms, bless it, pray over it, take this serious. You know, this isn't something that's a joke. How many knows that your home is a serious thing because the atmosphere of your home affects a lot of things in your life. And you want God's presence in your home. You want his blessing on your home. You know, I'll say this as I go on, but I'm going to tell you, there's preachers out there that say, I want revival. But truthfully, they won't deal with stuff. They won't deal with rebellion in their kids, and they won't deal with rebellion in the church. And God cannot trust them with revival. I've had to deal with things. It's not because I consider myself to be some tough guy, because I don't. But I've had to deal with stuff, and I've dealt with it for one reason. There's some people out there bless God that hopefully God's helped them but there was a time I'd say they probably hated my guts you know but I had to deal with their sin and deal with their stuff and they got mad and left but the reason why I was willing to do it was because I want his blessing and his presence more than I want everybody to like me and some preachers better hear that I want his blessing and his presence a lot more than I want everybody to like me. 
And you know what? I love those people, but God's done such a work in my heart that my head will hit my pillow tonight. You know what? I'll sleep just fine knowing that there's some people out there that can't stand me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't bother me. And we've got to get like that where things just don't affect us. Because the Apostle Paul said, I cannot be a servant of Christ, a bondservant of Christ, if I'm living to please men. And that's in Galatians. The last thing about Yom Kippur, I gave you the notes, but these kind come out by, by prayer and fasting. It's a time of prayer and fasting. Listen, I, I'm just going to say a couple things, so catch this. David Hogan said, if I can humble my soul in prayer and humble my body in fasting, there's nothing that God won't do. The, but listen to what he said, humble. If I can humble my soul in prayer and humble my body in fasting, there's nothing God won't do. And Jesus talking about the demonic, some of these are difficult. He said they come out but by prayer and fasting. And even Ahab, as wicked as he was, when he heard the rebuke of Elijah, he humbled himself in prayer and fasting. And God said, I won't do it in, in Ahab's day. I'll do it after he's dead. Even God showed mercy to Ahab when he humbled himself in prayer and fasting. The same God that said Ahab was the most wicked king that's ever lived. Prayer, humility, prayer, and fasting. Luke eleven twenty one. When a strong man guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away his armor that he relied, relied on and distributes the plunder. If you want to take down strong men, you're going to have to become a people of humility, prayer, and fasting. That's what pulls the armor off the devil's kingdom, and that's what causes strong men to be bound, and that's what causes you to plunder Satan's kingdom. Isaiah 58 gives some different uh, you know, prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. The Bible says in Isaiah 58, those that will pray and fast and regard the poor... That he said, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing quickly appear. The righteousness of God, your righteousness will go before you. The glory will be your defense. And you'll be like a well-watered garden and be healed. So there's a power in prayer and fasting. And you see fasting in the Bible and judges from morning to evening. They finally fasted after being defeated by Benjamin twice. But the third time, they prayed and fasted from morning to evening and got the victory. In the days of Esther, she called for a three-day fast. In the days of Passover, God said to fast yeast, leaven for seven days for cleansing. It has to do with spiritual cleansing. The number 14 is deliverance. A 14-day fast for deliverance. 21-day partial fast. Daniel, he refused to use lotions on his body. And he got away from sweets and he did this partial fast. And he did it for 21 days. At the end of it, what God gave him, major revelation and major breakthrough in spiritual warfare. And, of course, we know 40 days. But if you're going to go 40 days, you need to hear from God. Amen. All right. And the last two things, the mezuzah, mezuzot, the, you know, whenever the mezuzah means doorpost. But in the Hebrew culture, it's a sign of a home dedicated unto God. I want everybody to hear this. I don't have these notes here. It's on our website. But if you need these notes, please go to our website, fnirevival.com, and go to the sermon download and look into this, okay? You can find this Communion Hebrew Roots series, and this is part 18. But my wife and I together put um, this teaching together on cleansing your home. And it has to do with praying over your home 
and how to kind of anoint your home and bless it and pray over it. And it's really powerful. But a mezuzah is an outward sign of a home that has been dedicated and consecrated unto God. Okay? It's a little scroll of the Word of God. Marks the home. If you want to use one, you can. You don't obviously have to. But how many knows that we need God's blessing on our home? And we need His presence in our home. We need our homes to be under the blood. All right, and this is... um, I just want to read this as I close out this series. What brought this move of God, this presence of God, this glory into River of Life? Number one, I believe persistent, heartfelt prayer, fasting, and people being willing to consecrate themselves unto God. Number two, being willing to be different and persecuted for Him. And we look out over the American church, and you, you and I both know it's not a lot of things aren't biblical, and you know that there's not a lot of power. And you know you read the book of Acts and you compare it with a lot of the American church and you know that it's not, it's just not there. And so for us to see book of Acts Christianity, you've got to be willing to be different and to be persecuted for being different. And being faithful with the basics, making God's house a house of prayer, people being faithful with their tithe, and that's a big deal to God. The communion, taking communion together, coming under the blood and speaking blessings, I believe, had a huge impact on the presence of God here. The Hebrew roots of the faith, I believe as we've, we've um, you know, had these times, like these feast times, I really believe it's helped to purge the heavens above. Helping to unite the body of Christ. We've done things to help bring the body of Christ together. And it has been very challenging, to say the least. Unstructured services, letting God move and do whatever He wants to do in a church service. Did you know this is just a radical concept? But did you know that God can actually be in charge of his house? Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that the Holy Spirit can actually be in charge of a church service? Unstructured services, just letting God be God. Reaching out to the lost and hurting like touching hearts. I believe as River of Life has been reaching out to the lost and hurting that it's pleased the Lord. Blessing and praying for the nation of Israel. Redigging the wells of revival. We've really prayed and sought God about these things. Spiritual mapping and spiritual warfare. We've understood what we're dealing with in this region, and we've prayed accordingly. Honoring the fathers and mothers of the faith. We've had series and things we've taught. Remember, Brother Zach went through that, God's generals, and we've honored the fathers and mothers of the faith. Going and receiving from other moves of God. You have to humble yourself and be willing when God's moving somewhere to be able to go and receive what God is doing. Freedom in praise and worship. Being loyal to people, even though people have been sometimes disloyal back toward us. But we've still been loyal to people. I have friends, I have one friend in particular that he's told me I'm his only friend because he's been through so much and people just walked away. But you've got to be loyal to people. All right, take a stand for holiness. See, sometimes you'll take a stand against things that aren't right, and that person may have something in them kind of uncomfortable towards you. But once God deals with everything in them... That'll all clear up. Prepare the atmosphere before services. I come up and really pray here. Understanding spiritual warfare, deliverance, and inner healing. Helping people to get free. God wants people free. And I'm tired of some places that will never deal with those things. Because people live defeated lives, oppressed of the devil, when Jesus paid for their freedom. All right, not having a free-for-all with laying on of hands. 
That's had something to do. God is not going to allow his glory to come and remain for a long period of time when it's just chaotic and anybody can do whatever they want to do. I'm going to tell you, in major revivals, Satan has always tried to send witches and people in. And you don't want just everybody praying for everybody. You need to know who's laying hands on your people. And don't allow demonic or worldly mixture. I've been so grieved to hear churches bringing Harry Potter into their children's ministry or bringing things like, um, oh, what's that? Stupid vampire movie. Twilight. Bringing that into the youth and stuff like that. That's a bunch of garbage, man. Keep all that pollution out. How many knows that when we've got the real deal, when you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got the Bible, that's enough? And if it's not enough for somebody, they're not saved. And if they're not going to get saved, then they can go somewhere else. All right. And let God harden you to difficulties. Ah, that's the fun part, right? But let God put you through stuff to harden you to difficulties where you can handle challenging things. I believe all of this has played into revival. But as a pastor, I'm telling you that if I was not somebody, and I'm not saying this for me, I'm saying this for you and for other people that are going to hear this, other ministers that are going to hear this, and other ministers that are here. If I was not somebody that was willing to deal with stuff, I was just going to sweep it under the rug and ignore it. I want everybody to like me. I don't want anybody mad at me. I'm just going to get up here and just tell everybody what they want to hear. God would never, this presence of God would never be here. You have to be willing to deal with things for God to come and dwell in power. All right, so let's close this out and pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight that you come and let your presence increase. Lord, I believe you want to touch people tonight. And I thank you for this word. Lord, we we need to be a people that's willing to deal with stuff in our own lives. It's got to start with us, but also in our homes and in the church. We have to be willing to put things in order and deal with stuff. And so, Lord, I thank you tonight that you come, Holy Spirit, and begin to show people areas that need to be dealt with in their own hearts. I want to take just a few minutes as, yeah, go ahead and shut down recordings. If you could just turn up that tides for a few minutes or whatever, and let's pray. And I want where you're at, just make an altar. Hear me. We all say, yeah, we want God to come. We want revival. We want to see God move. I do too. But it's going to begin when we get on our face and say, Lord, do in me what needs to be done. Okay? Lord, convict me where I need to be convicted. Correct me where I need to be corrected. Show me where I need to change. And let God do a work. On the other side of that is great freedom and joy. So where you're at, if you want to kneel, if you want to get on your face, if you want to turn around and make an altar, whatever you want to do, let's just spend a few minutes praying about this. Lord, show us. Let your sword come. Lord, let the fear of God, the conviction of your precious Holy Spirit come, Lord. Challenge us. I want to know. Lord, help us to see the things we don't see. Sometimes we can be so blinded and ignorant about things. Lord, we're just human beings. But Lord, help us to see what we need to see. That we can be vessels, Lord, that you can anoint, fill, and use. 